0: In this episode, I speak with Ashley Hedstrom from Goddess Homestead. Ash turned to ancestral wisdom to heal from autoimmune conditions, chronic inflammation, and dis ease after being ill for several years with doctors unable to give answers. She transformed through nutrition, movement, and alternative medical paradigms. This is when Goddess Homestead was created. Ash now uses ancestral wisdom to help others work through emotional blocks and become self-sufficient. She provides experiences on urban homesteading, where you can learn to grow, preserve, and store your own food through canning and zero-waste initiatives. She's determined to help others create a new reality and be sovereign no matter where you start from. Welcome to the Rare Conversations podcast. I'm Leone Milano, and I chat with creative entrepreneurs and business owners around the world about what it takes to start, sustain, scale, and sell a business. We talk about real life scenarios to help you understand the path before you, to inspire your journey. I transition from working in film, TV, and global events to working with creative entrepreneurs through mindset coaching and mentoring. I'm on a mission to help entrepreneurs embrace the journey, understand themselves better, accelerate their growth and get the most out of life, making sure they have a hell of a lot of fun along the way. Ash, so great to have you. Thanks so much for
1: having me. I'm excited to be on your podcast today.
0: I love your business. I love the concept. When I saw it, I thought I definitely want to chat with you because I'm a country girl and I love anything related to food prep and really getting back to basics because a lot of that gets forgotten with how powerful it is in terms of getting yourself healthy and keeping your body strong. It's really important. Tell me a little bit about how you got into this whole, I mean, it's quite a few different areas that you're in. The urban Mm -hmm. homesteading is especially interesting to me because it's not something that I had heard of before that exact term. Um, So why don't you give me an overview of how all of it came about, and then we can dive into each section.
1: Okay. Yeah. It is kind of a magical hodgepodge of lots of things. (laughs) Definitely magical though. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So with this whole journey I've been on the last really 10 years, it's been kind of a trial by fire with having to learn things because I needed to find something to help with like chronic health conditions that like I was pre-diabetic at one point and I got really sick from pharmaceuticals like birth control and that led to an antidepressant. And then from there, it just bled into this spiraling mental health crisis because I was not properly informed of what the medications could lead to. And um, side effects that could worsen based on family history of mental illness. So with a cascading crisis that I was in, um, I had to turn really to ancestral wisdom to find any hope and healing. And from that I got into herbalism and homeopathy, canning, food storage, and the the urban homesteading really was in the last, two years. And that was at the turn of COVID in February and March of 2020, because I saw how fragile our global shipping and infrastructure is. So I mm. really had a wake-up call and I, I really looked at if something majorly happens, that my intuition had actually started warning me of in 2018. I started getting these promptings to look into food storage, learn how to can, get prepared. And it was like this over sense of like impending doom. And luckily like we've had a lot of timeline shifts to where that timeline that my intuition was and my ancestors were like you need to get prepared for this, that didn't happen. So Just putting that out there, like we're not on this like doom timeline anymore, but (laughs) it was, (laughs) it was this like warning that said, you need to get off of medications. You need to learn how to heal yourself and you need to get prepared. You need to get food storage. You need to do all of these things. So from that, I was like, oh my God. Okay. Like (laughs) I, I need to do all these things now. And I was able to get myself off of all medications. And to reverse my prediabetes, lower my cholesterol, really just tackle the massive amount of inflammation that was in my body. And I was finally able to sleep again because I had chronic insomnia from all the pain and really bring myself back from that state of dis-ease that my body was in and find relief and healing, like actual healing from ancestral wisdom. And I love it because it's so intuitive and it seems so easy that we dismiss it, but that's really the missing key that really rounds out what we need in society, you know, with all of the modern convenience and infrastructure that we have, it's led to so many great things for a lot of people, but it's ultimately not the end all that we need, Mm. you know, because, allopathic medical care is amazing. If you need to get sewn up or if you're in an accident or something that chronic or not chronic, the acute care for trauma, you know, if Mm -hmm. you're in a car accident, you want a really good surgeon that can bring you back to life and help you heal from that traumatic event. But when it comes to chronic health issues, like pre-diabetes, these lifestyles, um, The lifestyle that leads to a state of dis-ease in the body, you need to bring back in that missing piece with the spiritual care, the emotional care, and the ancestral wisdom with herbs and food medicine that really rounds it out, you know, and that's what I found from my experience is that allopathic medical care wasn't equipped to deal with these lifestyle states of disease. They just wanted to kind of put you further into a hole with other medications and things rather than actually looking at preventative care. And I actually had the privilege of working in a public health office under the director for our entire health district. And we're in a five-county health health district where I'm at. So I got to really have that other side of education while I was going through this and see preventative care and why it works and like how much could be addressed and remedied within our society and within my health district if people actually did the preventative care. And that was actually a source of concern for a lot of the people that I worked with is that People don't eat enough vegetables. We're not doing the proper um, self-care for us. The simple things. The simple things are really what we need Mm. to get back to where we want to be, where we were meant to be, because humans were never meant to be, you know, so disconnected from the earth, from our food, from relationships, you know, and that sense of community. That's where we're really creating these states of disease for ourselves. That is so
0: interesting. When you talk about you tapped into your ancestral wisdom, how does somebody even do something like that? I think people are disconnected from their own intuition, which is incredibly powerful. How does somebody Mm -hmm. tap into that? How do they learn to trust themselves?
1: With ancestral wisdom, I think it's really important to know where you come from. And regardless of what certain people in your lineage have done, yes, you might tap into a lot of pain that you have the privilege and honor to transmute and to let go of because we tend to forget how much is actually stored in our DNA. So while certain things we think are passed down, like my family has Um, higher rates of autoimmune disease in my family, like with the thyroid and stuff. But then you start actually looking deeper. And it's really interesting with epigenetics. Like it's a new area of study right now that is actually finding a lot of things that back up spiritual teachings with- Can you describe that a little bit more for people, the epigenetics? So epigenetics studies your DNA basically. And we have certain, I can't remember the full name of it, but it's an SNP. So the popular one that people talk about right now is MTHFR, which is, it inhibits certain things from being able to convert like folate. So it it's the conversion of certain nutrients from the inactive compound to the active like bioavailable compound. So when you start looking at your genetics, you can match it up with what's showing up in a genetic report compared to what you can just look intuitively at within your family with patterns. So a couple years ago, I was able to get a free genetic test from 23andMe for participating in a study. And I got my family to do the test too, because it was really interesting. So I was able... A couple years ago, to pull all of our raw data and sift through it, I found a site where it gave you the codes to look at and told you what the codes meant. So I was able to look through and figure out that we all carried the MTHFR gene and like certain preferences for things, um, like a higher risk of certain things with. Lack of digestive enzymes, like a whole bunch of stuff. Like, I went in deep. I spent weeks on this. I spent so much time looking through all of our data. And it was really interesting to see the actual data compared to what I had noticed intuitively and made note of. And with myself, when I was doing my own healing and figuring out that, yeah, I needed help with digestive enzymes because I didn't have enough enzymes. And I needed the bioavailability of certain nutrients in my vitamins. So to see that all backed up in the data that I had gathered data on intuitively was incredible. Mm. incredible. Wow. Yes. So you figured it out intuitively and you got
0: to see the actual data from 23andMe.
1: Mm-hmm. From yeah, carrying out a test. the raw data.
0: And the test, was it, it was a saliva test? It was. Yeah. So it's extremely easy to do this.
1: Yeah. And you can do it through ancestry.com as well. When you start looking at your ancestry and noticing what runs in my family, whether it's certain patterns with behavior or states of dis-ease in the body, you can really start to pinpoint based on what you just gather intuitively from sitting with it and getting quiet and going within. And Mm -hmm. oftentimes it will match what's in your DNA. And what they have found from epigenetics recently within the last decade is that trauma will turn on and off certain genes. So Whoa. you can pinpoint and look back at patterns and the data and mm. you can gather like what actually went on in your lineage. And then you can actually go further, which I did, and look back at what nationalities you have and what those people went through, what kind of trauma was in your your nationality, your lineage, and start to really piece that together. And it it brings so much awareness to it too. And you start to have this like sense of empowerment from that and go, okay, I'm not my trauma. Somebody down my line experienced trauma and people didn't know how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. But now I'm aware of it and now I can address it and heal it. And it ends with me. If you have trauma in your
0: own life now, not talking about ancestry, are you able to check with DNA any off and on things that happened just within your lifetime so far of where you're able to trace back, say, 10 years ago or 20 years ago, and you could see quite a significant change that you could
1: relate to something in your life? I would guess, like in theory... Yes. um, Mm -hmm. Epigenetics is still so new that they have not been able to directly correlate whether you can, you know, shift it back or not. But in theory, like I personally really resonate with we're going to see that in the future that we can actually, with biohacking, um, that's really big right now in the health community is biohacking, where, mm. you know, you can influence your genes and return them to the original blueprint. So it hasn't been
0: Tell defined. me a bit about the
1: biohacking. So biohacking is, it takes the ancestral wisdom component of knowing who you are, where you've been, what's been in your family, and with certain foods, behaviors, diet, you can support your body so that it works optimally. It's like knowing what missing pieces you need in that puzzle. And with biohacking, you add in those missing pieces so that you're operating, your body knows what to do. You know, it it returns to that original state of being
0: and so everything you, works optimally. Right. By biohacking. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have so much science available at our fingertips to really take notice of our health. I'm not even somebody that goes to the doctor ever. I always say I never get sick. I'm just not somebody Mm -hmm. that gets sick. Even if I do get sick, I keep telling myself that I don't get sick because I just don't want to be thinking about it. I just don't really bring it into my thinking. So say, for example, growing up, we used to have a medicine cabinet. And now that I look back at that, it's like, wow, that's actually holding space for illness. Uh, you know, yeah. it's kind of, it's <laughs> almost like it's it's there. It's a part of life. And and I just thought, I'm not going to have a medicine cabinet. I'll have a little first aid kit, like a tiny one, but I just don't have whole backups with all these things. I actually don't even take vitamins. I know I should apparently vitamin D and vitamin C are good. I will take things for a while and then I'll just get tired of it. So I end up stopping. What's your Um, take on vitamins?
1: So I don't take vitamin D anymore since I've started digging into like hormones versus vitamins and really trying to decipher what was best for me with biohacking. And when you supplement with a hormone, Oftentimes you can't absorb it, so it it can become really inflammatory in your body. Actually, like with vitamin D, mm-hmm. when you get tested in a blood test for it, they're actually testing the inactive form, which is often inflammatory. They don't actually test the active hormone unless you ask for it. So, learning how to decipher between the two and looking at, am I actually going out in the sunshine and getting yes. some sunlight? Because you know, we're basically just plants with emotions. We need the sunlight, you know, so that our cells can do the (laughs) photosynthesis. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we're just walking plants with emotions here, you know, so are you actually getting enough greens in your diet to help with photosynthesis in your cells and support your mitochondria? And are you getting the sunlight to activate it? Are you supporting your body with all of the the things that we're supposed to be doing for um, human self-care daily? Or are you just trying to pour on something and hoping that it works? So that's something just to think about with hormones is, are you actually supporting your body and giving it the right ingredients so that it can actually produce that hormone in your body instead of supplementing with it? And I think
0: a lot of people would have a bit of a wake up call when they realize how they put themselves on the back foot in terms of their own health Mm -hmm. by Buying into all of the marketing and advertising and everything that you see on TV and in magazines and all these quick fixes, you know, like you said Mm -hmm. before, it's something people are so busy running around being busy that they will rather have a quick fix than to look for the root cause of something. Mm -hmm. And that's actually going quite deep when you think about looking, which obviously It makes sense to look at the root cause of everything. That is also can be quite painful to do that. And usually Mm -hmm. why people would avoid diving into anything. And I don't think people realize it on the other side of that is the healed, more vibrant person that is lighter and can actually enjoy their lives.
1: Mm -hmm. And it definitely can be painful when you start to address these things, especially when a lot of Disease in the body is from stored emotions that weren't properly processed. And mm-hmm. things like acupuncture and some homeopathy, too, can really help address that. But really, just sitting with your body and listening and noticing where you have tightness and soreness in the body constantly, where are you holding on to tension? And a lot of times that is stored emotion. And for example, like I have a lot of pain in my hips And the hips are really where you store a lot of traumatic emotions. So when you dive in and you look at all of these other healing modalities that bring in that spiritual emotional component to it, that can really illuminate like, what am I holding on to? What have I not processed in my life? that is crying out for me constantly, you know, with this pain and saying, I need your attention. This needs to be addressed. Like, why are we still holding on to this? But oftentimes we ignore it and we just throw ibuprofen or Advil at it, you know, a pain reliever. And we go, no, it's fine. It's fine. We're taught <laughs> to just take a tablet. And mm-hmm. it's it's such a
0: bizarre way for an adult mm-hmm. world to behave.
1: We're constantly life filming.
0: is the most precious thing that we have, the -hmm. the level of lack of consciousness. It's a lot. It's so huge.
1: Mm -hmm. We're constantly trying to numb ourselves Mm -hmm. and disassociate from our bodies to continue to be productive instead of actually doing the self-care and going back and tending to ourselves, tending to our roots and our Mm -hmm. inner child who we were taught to ignore and discredit. So as adults, we're walking around with gaping wounds in our hearts and then we're just trying to shove some dirt on it and bury it again before it comes back up saying, I need you. We're, we're capable of so much and we can feel so much love and abundance. That's our natural state. But instead with these wounds, when it comes up, it's so painful that mm. we just want to shove it back down again. But mm-hmm. if you have the courage and the capability to sit with it and give yourself the love that you are looking outside of yourself for, you can really heal that. So yeah. while it may feel like you're just, ripping off the scab on that wound and you know, it starts oozing. You have to do that to clean out the wound. You can't just leave it infected. It's going to heal. And then you're going to look back and go, Oh my gosh, I did that. I healed myself and I love myself. I think it's really empowering to realize that you have so much power. And when you take note of where you're trying to give it to outside of yourself, and you start to bring that back in and re-nourish your mind, body, soul, you're capable of so much that you haven't even thought of yet.
0: It's like you unblock something. You unlock it. All of a sudden, you have clarity. You feel lightness. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting that when we have these traumatic things that happen in our life and in a weird twist, we will end up blaming ourselves for it. When I first started learning about the inner child, I used to think, what on earth is this? These woo-woo people are talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Because I didn't realize anything that happened then. I think for so many people, they have some kind of trauma that they went through. When you look at our previous generation and the one before, it's so easy for us to blame them. But once you've done that growth, you realize they were dealing with a lot. And Mm -hmm. I think that I think they really truly were doing the best that they could. I don't Mm -hmm. believe that people are intentionally mean. I think all of that stems from a trigger of protection Mm -hmm. um, or lashing out because they haven't dealt with something. Tell me your take on you know, like explaining what the inner child is. It's so important to us.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's one of the most important things I think you can do with emotional, spiritual work that will actually impact your physical health. So the inner child, if you think back to yourself from the ages of... Like six to eight. That's typically the age range for your inner child. And you can do meditations. There's lots of like guided meditations for free you can find on YouTube. That was how I first started um, to tap into it. If you think back around like that age range and who you were, what you went through, and That can really impact how you show up for yourself as an adult for your current day. So, when I started tapping into my inner child, I realized that growing up with a narcissistic parent, I really was gaslit a lot. And I was told that I was too emotional. And if you, if you have any water, strong water placements in your astrology birth chart, I have a Pisces moon. So I am very, very in touch with my emotions. I cry at everything. If I'm happy, I cry. If I'm sad, I cry. If I'm angry, I cry. I just cry all the time.
0: So being I think crying is, a, is, <laughs> is something that we should do freely because we, it is. it's something that exists in our body that say, you know, it's not like your body has this function of allowing you to release. Yeah. (laughs) But again, we're taught and programmed to shut Mm -hmm. that down, shut it down. And And it's almost shameful, right? And it shouldn't be. It is.
1: It's so beautiful if you're able to freely let that flow because it needs to come out somehow, you know? So either you process it or it's going to cause inflammation somewhere in your body. If you don't let it out. You know, you're going to have to deal with it sometime. You might as well just let it out in the moment and deal with it. That's what's um, fascinating to me
0: is how our traumas come out in our body in all the different ways. Mm -hmm. That is so fascinating for me and all the signs
1: that we have. Mm -hmm. Oh, I will mention with the stuck emotions, when I really started getting into it and I was getting off of birth control and I started going to acupuncture, to help my body get back in sync and work how it should. I came home one day from, and usually after I get acupuncture, within two days, I have an emotional release, like a big emotional release, but I have a lot of stuck emotion in my body, so it could be different for everyone else. But within two days of one acupuncture appointment a few years ago, I had a massive emotional release where it felt like I was releasing like 27 years of the feeling of inadequacy. I was sobbing, like straight up ugly crying, snot was coming out my nose and I was just sobbing for half an hour because my body was wow. just releasing so much stored inadequacy that was really inhibiting a lot of things for me. So it's, it's crazy, like what we hang on to and how we release it. But if you have to cry to get it out, get it out.
0: (laughs) Well, I think that we need to cry for a lot of it. You know, it's so interesting. Everything is energy, right? So Mm -hmm. isn't it crazy how intensely we take on the energy from others, Mm -hmm. their behaviors and everything. Like we really, really, it just latches onto our soul, our being, our whole everything. And it just envelops, Mm -hmm. it can envelop somebody entirely Yeah, and it sticks, it stays, and it it Mm -hmm. is a lot to shift, but it's not ours it's not ours, we have taken it. So isn't that interesting? When you look at mm-hmm. the science and having that transfer of energy come into your body, if you were clear of it before, you should be able to release it again, but only by understanding how you receive yourself
1: it. Mm-hmm. by understanding yourself. Understanding
0: yourself and the science and...
1: mm -hmm. And when I started getting into some of the more mystic stuff, which is actually the original science, (laughs) when you look at the history with astrology and human design, when I started digging into that, I was looking for a language that could tell me what I knew intuitively, but I couldn't quite put into words. Mm -hmm. So with knowing your placements, what energy you have... And like in human design, I have an undefined, I think it's the spleen center. And whether it's defined or undefined tells you if you are more likely to suck in and sponge up the emotions of other people. And that's what I am. So knowing that I was like, oh my gosh, like, no wonder I feel so good when I'm alone. And then when I'm with people, it's either like, I just feel so drained or if they're like in a really good mood, then it like totally boosts me up. So knowing oh, yeah. what kind of energy that you have and whether or not you're kind of sponging off other people or if you're projecting can really help you figure out what's yours, what's not yours, how to have really good boundaries with other people for whether you're just like throwing stuff onto other people all the time, you know, oh, to that's kind of interesting. Bring it back to that, you. That self-awareness, mm-hmm. leaking
0: your own energy, the way mm-hmm. you feel so depleted yeah, and being aware of it. Isn't it fascinating in conversation that you you don't even... You don't even have to be in the same room with the person. can be on the Mm -hmm. phone. Yeah. Energy is everywhere. Emails. I think text messaging, you can get misinterpretation, Mm -hmm. but it's still, you know, isn't it? It's interesting how we have a very quick judgment and perception of different scenarios Mm -hmm. and how we frame things and everything depends upon our past behavior, beliefs. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's really, really fascinating.
1: Yeah. And having that awareness really helped me too with the inner child work, going back to that, because when I realized that I was such an emotional sponge, talking to um, my mother earlier, a couple months ago, and really like we've healed our relationship a lot the last year, which has been so beautiful and telling her about like the human design and the emotional sponge stuff. And we were able to pinpoint the points in my childhood where I was like nine or 10 years old and I had crippling depression. Like I remember being depressed at nine, nine oh. and 10 and not having a word for it. I just knew that I was experiencing this overwhelming wave of sadness. And we were able to pinpoint at that in my life. Like that was when her and my father were going through something really intense. And I was picking up on that emotion in the house. Oh so gosh, it really this was illuminating. Everyone. It was illuminating for me to be able to say, that's not mine. I don't have to carry it. I was intuitive as a little kid and I was able to pick up on things, you know? So it really shifted things to where, um, I realized I'm not in a victim place anymore because while I am empathic, I am actually a clairsentient psychic. I have the gift of feeling because I, I can pick up on the energy in a room. So that really helped me to like finally toss that garbage out of my body and go, that's not mine. I'm not carrying it anymore. I don't have to carry it because it wasn't mine to begin with. You know, I don't have to be a victim to this. I can be empowered and I can know going forward when I start feeling these icky feelings to go, is this actually mine? Am I picking up on somebody else in the room? Am I picking picking up on the collective energy in the world? And to really sit with that and go, yeah, I'm good. It's not mine. <laughs> That's huge because I... Uh, Is it something that
0: we can all do is pick up energy Mm -hmm. in a room? I think so.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Once you can really get in tune with your body and listen and get quiet, we all have extra sensory gifts. We're all psychic in some way. It's not limited to like a certain type or a certain way. So if you have the gift where you can be in a room with somebody and pick up on their energy and say, they're hiding something or i don't trust that and you have this sense where you can't explain it there's nothing to back it up and then he, like a little while later you find out something about that situation or person and go my intuition told me i knew it like my mom has that gift too where um growing up in my in the neighborhood i was in as a teenager there was someone where someone's dad that she didn't trust she's like you're not going to their house i don't want you over there i don't want you in their group at church that they were teaching at. She's like, I don't know how to explain it, but I don't trust them. And he got in trouble and arrested for something a couple of years after we moved out and it backed it up. Like nobody else could see it, but my mom knew her intuition was like, we're not messing with them. You're not going to be near them. They're not going to be near you. You're not, I'm going to move you out of their church group. <laughs> like they're not going to be your teacher. She didn't want anything to do with them. And her intuition was right. So oh. you have a gift. Whether it's you just know things before there's any proof for them, you know, if you have premonitions or deja vu or you just have this overwhelming sense of I know this and I don't know how to explain it, that's a gift. If you can pick up on the energy in a room or influence the energy in a room, you know, it goes both ways. If you have clear feeling Mm -hmm. and you're picking up on stuff, you can push out that energy, which I just learned about. And I started doing that and it's amazing. So if you are walking into a room where people are kind of like in a low mood or if the energy is kind of weird, you can push out good energy from your body and influence the energy in the room. You can change the energy. Mm. I I have come across
0: (laughs) um, sometimes with work and, you know, you go to meetings sometimes and I really remember, you know, you'd come across some people that would come into a meeting and they would leave and you felt lighter. It was like you'd had some kind of cleanse and their energy was very light and bright and calm, but just really nurturing. And then I've also had experiences where people have come into meetings and they leave and you feel wiped out or you feel like Mm -hmm. you need to go and have a shower. Yeah. You know, when their energy is that dark Mm -hmm. and you literally have to get away from it. I wonder if people Mm -hmm. are aware of having that. What, what does that mean? I think it's a lot of trauma and stress and a lot of things, but it's very, Mm -hmm. it's very strong. Some people's energy is, um, it's overpowering sometimes
1: hmm. When I was at the gym last night, our gym has a sauna. So I was sitting in there after my workout. And there was only one other lady in there. And I started feeling that way, too. I started noticing that I started feeling lightheaded and kind of like impending doom, kind of negative emotion. And I was like, where is this coming from? And I sat with it for a minute and I noticed her body language and she was really like agitated. And I started feeling this other presence with us. And because um, I'm still kind of tuning into this gift, but I, I do have the gift where I can like hear spirits and I haven't seen them yet because I'm not ready for that. But I know I have that gift too. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) How do you know? How do you know you have this gift um, of seeing them? From, well, things that my parents have told me as a kid with like playing with my sister well before she was even a thought. (laughs) Like me talking about my sister all the time as a little kid, because there's there's five years between us. So when I was probably like three, four-ish, I would just like chat around constantly about playing with my sister. And my parents had no inkling of having another kid (laughs) because I was with them not being able to like understand and support me with my emotions. I was like really overwhelming for them as a little kid with like crying and big emotions and things and other things that we had like dealt with and things I had experienced during that time period. So (laughs) with me constantly chattering on about my sister, this my sister, that, you know, they're like. Should we have another kid? like, I don't know what this you is. You brought it into being. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's actually a gift that runs in my family that I've discovered. Um, people in my family on one side can talk with ancestors. They come to them like all the time. So I know that's a gift that I'm still like kind of getting comfortable stepping into, you know, with some emotional work like shamanic healing that I've had in the last year. Um, That's been a constant message is like, we're going slow so we don't overwhelm you. (laughs) So I know it's coming, it's coming, you know, it's like getting me comfortable enough with it, but I can, I have clear audience that I've also been comfortable getting comfortable with, which is clear hearing. And I recently have really been tuning into that and I can hear sometimes like other spirits and things talking to me. Anyway, Do I have have any in my room? I think maybe you have an ancestor with you that's watching over you. Feels like a, like could be a grandmother, but maybe she's more comfortable as herself, like in her thirties or forties.
0: Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. (laughs) I am definitely interested in looking at this ancestry and the Mm -hmm. 23andMe. I have never done anything like that. It's really cool. It's so interesting. And I think, I do agree with you. I think it is so important to understand our roots Mm -hmm. and to be able to understand, unravel our life, Mm -hmm. understanding Mm -hmm. what's happened to other people. I always feel like, you know, like with narcissists, would you think that that stems from some kind of trauma? Oh, definitely. Overwhelming trauma that they have experienced and it's never been processed.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know how true this is, but I remember seeing something a while ago that said empaths and narcissists kind of stem from the same event, but it's what you decide to do with it, with that programming, whether you become really empathetic because you know the pain or whether it evolves kind of into a narcissistic tendency with, um, and I know there's like people that are born with narcissistic personality disorder, so it's not like oh, really? this is the thing. Yeah, so- it's not like an end-all be-all, but what I read that made me really think is that like we all go through trauma, whether it's a big T event or lots of little T events, you know, it's still trauma. It's how you perceived it in the moment, what you were exposed to, and what you did with it. So, what could be really traumatic for you might not be that traumatic for some person, or they didn't know it was that traumatic until they dealt with it later, you know. So, it's really what you experienced and how you processed it and what you did with it. So, if someone developed narcissistic tendencies from trauma that they didn't know how to process, that could have pushed them. you know, more down that path versus somebody that took that trauma. Um, and it made them, you know, more empathetic towards people because they know that pain, you know, so it really comes down to perception and awareness. And um, whether you're able to keep your heart open, I think that's a big part of it. Do you think
0: narcissists know that they are and I, I think they, they know, but they don't care because they're, they're so overwhelmed with what they're dealing with internally. That that's how I understand it to be.
1: Yeah. Maybe a little bit like trauma. I mean, I'm sure it's
0: very, I'm sure it's a very complex subject. Oh yeah. Yeah. But it's, <laughs> it's prevalent and it it is, it's so cutting. It's so debilitating. It destroys other people. And that's where the protecting yourself, protecting your energy, or you will literally get set.
1: Yeah, you will to nothing. And, and really using the resources, the free resources that are available right now on YouTube and Instagram to do your own self-healing and have that awareness and empowerment of knowing yourself, knowing what kind of energy you have, whether you are an emotional sponge or you're projecting, you know, with human design. How can you that find can- that out, the energy? Yeah. So you can pull your own astrology birth chart for free on astro.com. That's where I first started learning about it. And then following um, accounts on Instagram and YouTube and doing my own research, I was able to pinpoint certain things with my birth chart and understand it.
0: What? You're right. What if you don't know your time of birth, you've not been able to get that information? Does it still give you an accurate rating? Mm
1: -hmm. If you don't know your exact time of birth, there are astrologers that can help you based on different energy types and personality traits. They can help you pinpoint a more accurate time and give you a more accurate chart. So there are ways, if you are interested in that, that certain astrologers can help you to figure that out. Or if you just want to get kind of a general overview, you can pull a chart with like a stand-in time, but the only thing is you won't get your accurate rising sign, which is the mask that people first see and associate with you when they meet you before they get to know you. So that's the only caveat to that is that you won't have that accuracy with the rising sign, but you can get a general idea of the energy that you have. So a rising sign is a mask. Yeah. It's it's the first energy that people see with you that they associate Interesting. with you. Mm-hmm. So like for me, my rising sign is a Capricorn, which is a seagoat. So it's like a lot of business structure, um, hard-headed, stubborn. <laughs> but when you start getting into like the higher vibrations of that sign, they say that the Capricorn and the two horns become one and it becomes a unicorn. So with every sign, every energy, there's a lower vibration and a higher vibration that you can work with. I love the Capricorn energy. <laughs> I love it because it's all about like the structure, the business, Um, Boundaries. So, when you can work with it and become empowered with knowing what kind of energy you have, you can really step into yourself and know how other people perceive you and know how to change it and figure out what cycles you're going through. Because that's That's interesting. you You have the birth chart, but there's transits. So, the moon cycles every two to two and a half days. Same thing goes with the other planets, they have different cycle lengths. But when you can start looking into that, you can see. Based on your birth chart, which is cut into slices like a 12 piece pie, and each house in that pie governs certain things. Like the second house is about money and possessions, sixth house is more about work, service, routines, you know, and then it goes around the clock. So, knowing what transits are highlighting certain areas of the chart, you can pinpoint what lessons you're working through at the moment. So it's it goes really deep and it it really helps to like figure out like why am I dealing with so much of this and why am I having struggles with this or what am I supposed to be learning right now? What energy is coming into my life? And you can figure that out.
0: So there's water cycles, there's moon cycles. There yeah, really like, is a lot.
1: Yeah, and especially with Saturn return, that's a more trendy one that people are aware of which is when Saturn the planet of karma and structure comes back to the original position in your birth chart so it you start to feel the influence from like 27 to 29, you really start working through the issues or the lessons around 30. And then it culminates and you integrate the lessons from like 31 to 33. So it's really this initiation into adulthood that um, most a lot of people ended up getting married during. They have a baby around that time. Depending on where it is in your chart, that can be a major thing for you. And if you're aware of it, you can be proactive and work with it instead of like big daddy Saturn is just dragging your ass behind him, (laughs) you know, and you're struggling to keep up.
0: (laughs) That is so funny. Wow. That's Mm -hmm. really interesting. So we have way more power over ourselves than we give ourselves credit for. And it
1: really just comes down to awareness and finding the language that helps you to figure out what you already know in you, what you know in your heart space, what your intuition has been telling you. Because really, the more that you're able to listen and be aware of it, you're like, oh, that's what that prompting was for. That's what that little inkling that I had a couple months ago or a year ago, whatever, that I knew as a kid That's what that was. It's so
0: nice to be able to piece things together because when you get an answer on something, you actually really feel it. It resonates Mm -hmm. in your body and then you can release it. I think, you know, our brain is always trying to it will fill in the blanks, it will come up with all kinds of things. And also, I've read that we don't necessarily have a very accurate memory of things in the past. So we hang on to all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And then if we really look at what we're hanging on to half of it's not even true, which Mm -hmm. is quite interesting. I mean, you have Oracle readings as well.
1: Mm-hmm. I you love You have Oracle so cards. much
0: around <laughs> this. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the Oracle card readings.
1: Okay. So Oracle card readings, it can be interactive or it can be totally remote and like hands off. So the thing that I love about oracle and tarot readings is that it's really just tapping into your own energy. So when I do readings for myself, I usually do like a little card pull for myself in the morning to help me like get focused and see what kind of energy am I going to be working with today to be aware of it, what kind of lessons and that can really illuminate what you kind of know or if it's kind of foggy for you, it can give you direction. And things to look out for where it can give you confirmation for what you already know. So what I love about Oracle cards is that every deck has its own flavor and they're usually really warm and supporting. <laughs> and I like that more than tarot cards personally, because a lot of tarot cards for me, the energy is like, get your shit together, you know, <laughs> versus... really. <laughs> it's like oh you're in danger (laughs) versus oracle cards they're like oh honey you're doing so good but here's things to look out for wow it, it depends like what kind of um cards that you use and like your personal intention hey everyone i'm excited to jump in here and let you
0: know about my upcoming program for 2022 people say knowledge is power But that's not entirely true. If you do nothing with that knowledge, it's worthless. If you implement it, you become unstoppable. Creating your own business takes work, commitment, dedication to getting tasks done, working through the frustrations when you realize it's more than you thought, and you feel like you're always on the verge of quitting. The easy thing to do is give up, but that just perpetuates a cycle because when there is something you can't stop thinking about, something that you really wanna create, you'll never be able to shake it. What we're not taught in school is how our brain actually works. It is so hardwired with our individual beliefs based on our own life experiences that it takes the utmost awareness to know what you need to do differently to achieve your goals. This is the single biggest thing that can be the deciding factor on how well you live your life. When you're starting a new business, there are stages you need to go through. Analysis, planning, testing, strategizing, taking action in tandem with accountability and support, etc. This is what I help my clients with. In my 10-week program, I'll take you from being stuck and not knowing how to grow to getting clarity and confidence that will get you to the next level. We'll make sure your niche, target market offer and strategy is solid by implementing systems and a step-by-step action plan to strengthen your foundation that will allow you to grow faster than you could have imagined. You'll gain clarity and confidence with every step, not ever having to return to where you were ever again. I work with a limited number of clients at any time and to really help you, it needs to be a mutually beneficial fit this is for someone serious about their growth for someone who's tired of just getting by to having a healthy business that actually makes money if this sounds like something you're interested in send me an email to hello at leonimilano.com. that's L-E-O-N-I-M-I-L-A-N-O.com with the word apply and we can jump on a call to see if this works If you can tell me one thing that you got out of this episode, I'll add an exclusive bonus. Now let's get back to the episode. I'm looking at some of your other work that you've done that I wanted to touch on before we Mm -hmm. wrap it up, paganism and how you integrate that into your work. And then I want to move on to the urban homesteading.
1: So I kind of got into paganism with the ancestral work because I the more that I looked into the past with history and what my ancestors went through where they were from, what they did, I realized that we're really disconnected from the natural cycles of the earth. And a lot of the paganism that my ancestors practiced was like a community-based faith based around the natural cycles of the earth. So with Paganism versus Christianity, for example, like with the Irish. I have a lot of Irish ancestry and um, Gaelic ancestry from Scotland. Where, when Christianity came through, the people didn't want to convert, to the point that they enforced a lot of brutality on the communities where they have like the stories about having to eat snakes, being thrown in snake pits, and things because the people didn't want to convert. They liked their community faith based around the earth and. They held on so tightly, even through the brutality, that they canonized some of their deities into saints so that they could keep them like St. Bridget in Eastern Ireland, I think it is. She's a three-headed goddess with the maiden mother crone archetype who, so instead of like having a male god deity who was over everything, it was the mother, the creation goddess that a lot of our indigenous roots believed in. So they canonized her and made her a saint so that the people could still keep her and be Christian. And same goes with a lot of holidays. So it's like Christmas versus Yule. Yule, the winter solstice, is a celebration of um, the darkest night of the year with the light returning. It's celebrating the return of the light. So that's where a lot of our holidays were skewed, and they built upon the pagan traditions in order to keep people in the faith and convert. So when you look at your ancestry Look at what kind of holidays and traditions and rituals that they had, and you can start reconnecting to that and be more in tune with the cycles of the earth, with the solstice. Those are big energy days where, you know, the light's returning or the light is dimming or the veil is thin between the worlds, like with All Hallows Eve. You know, we all have these energy holidays. So when you can start to be aware of that and Just have like a consciousness towards it. You don't have to celebrate it or do anything for it if you don't feel called to. But to just be aware of what your ancestry, your roots practiced can help you get back in tune with things. So when I looked at that, I actually saw that we unconsciously had a lot of things around those holidays. My sister is born on spring equinox. I got married on summer equinox and my husband's brother was born on winter equinox. Like We (laughs) were all centered around these big energy points. And it blew my mind when I realized that. And I was like, oh my gosh, I got married on summer equinox. That's crazy. (laughs) Unintentionally. Unintentionally. And when we were planning the date and looking at a calendar, we just felt so good about that date and we didn't know why. So we picked that date. And then a couple of years ago, I got married in 2013. So it was only a couple of years ago that I realized when I started looking into all this, where I said, that's why we felt so good about that date. It was summer equinox.
0: <laughs> I feel like you're so in tune with all of this earthly energies.
1: Yeah. Well, I do have a lot of earth energy in my astrology birth chart. So that does help. But (laughs) I mean, there's so many different types of energies, right? All the elements, earth, air, water, and fire.
0: It's very, very interesting and how it all ties together and the meaning behind it. Being able to understand it and use that within your own energy and your own. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. To have, to everything. work with those energies in your body, like strengthening your digestive fire or stimulating the air with thought. And um, the water with emotion, you know, we can work with the different energy archetypes within our bodies and then within the world as well and get more in tune with the earth's natural cycles, with um, the cycles of death and rebirth in our lives and within the earth with like gardening and working with local ranchers and farmers to support them as they work with the cycles of the earth too and get more in tune with the food that we're eating, because that really has an influence on the energies within us. We're so disconnected from that. And that really makes a difference. And if we want to really enact change with sustainability and climate change, that comes down to having a relationship with the earth again, instead of we've outsourced everything to these conglomerates who don't care and they pollute the earth. And that's where the major sources of pollution come from is the outsourcing, where they're dumping chemicals into into the waters. And water retains memory. So we're polluting Mm. and then consuming the pollution and it's polluting our own bodies, polluting our thoughts. So if we can really start with our local communities and push for vote with our dollars, vote with our money and say, I want this. I'm not participating in this anymore. This is what I'm participating in. That's how you make change. I saw
0: a study with water and they presented different energy to the water one was hate hateful words i can't remember what the if there was a middle one but then the the mm-hmm. end one had like a love energy to it and apparently these crystals formed and they were diamond like mm-hmm. but the hate ones turned out black and what what do you think of all that it's a it's- real thing
1: it's a real thing. It is. And if you think about it, Earth is a closed loop system. All of the water here has been the same water from the beginning and it just cycles through. Water retains memory in its structure, in its bonds. So Oh, does you it can, mean we have
0: to do something, with filter our water or do something with water that we're drinking?
1: Yes, yes. But that, that's a whole nother piece of it too, <laughs> right. is being aware of what chemicals you're being exposed to because um, a lot of the water that we have in cities is dead water. It doesn't have any bonds or structure anymore. And it's polluted. It's polluted it with these Can it be chemicals. revitalized? It can. It can. And the amazing thing with that, with getting kind of woo, mixing the woo with science, is mm. you can speak to and work with the waters in your body. Because we're primarily water mm. in a meat suit. <laughs> you know? Ew. So- <laughs> Ew. <laughs> I think it's true, Our- though. It's true, you know, with emotions. So you can work with the waters in your body and help to depollute yourself with your thoughts, your emotions, and doing the emotional work and the shadow work. And even with affirmations, that helps to strengthen the water bonds in your body. And gratitude. Gratitude is a huge one. Yeah. Yeah, When you practice daily gratitude, that restructures the water in your body. So with the, the water study by, I think it's Masaru Emoto, from Japan, I could have totally butchered that, but if you Google it, like you'll find it. Um, the water crystallizes and forms these beautiful structures. Is that the these- what the study I was just talking about? Yeah, I think so. That's, that's the researcher. And when you have pure water that carries a negative charge, like it does in remote places where it's been untouched by civilization, by pollution, and all of these things. It carries a negative charge and it crystallizes. It still has its bonds and its form. So when you can work with the water in your own body and instead of telling your body all the time these really terrible negative things if you can start to be aware of that oh my and gosh, shift it yeah. and to say i am so grateful for my body i'm so grateful for you and you tell yourself in the mirror and you're looking at yourself and you say i love you mm. i am grateful for you i am grateful for this body this body is a miracle you know and just start to shift that and be so grateful for what you have and being alive because your presence is a present it's a gift It's a gift to be here in this body and to be aware of that and tell yourself that that'll shift things for you and your body and an energetic little cellular level. You'll start to re-crystallize. And it
0: makes so much more sense when you can understand it from a perspective such as this. Oprah used gratitude. She apparently, I think it was three to five things that she didn't just write what she was grateful for, she wrote why she was grateful for it. Also, another hack that I've recently learned is to write down what you're grateful for, even if you're not feeling it, and you keep writing until Mm -hmm. it starts to break through, till you start to feel that lightness. Because if you just write Three or five things. Sometimes you can still be sitting in a heaviness, but if you keep writing and keep thinking of other things, it's incredible that mm-hmm. energy shift and that change in letting go.
1: Mm-hmm. You're resetting yourself. Yeah. It's it's the easiest way to start healing. Mm-hmm. It's the little pieces of ancestral wisdom that we say, oh, that's too simple. It doesn't have to oh, be hard. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have to be hard. It's we the like to things. make
0: things very difficult though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because we don't believe that things can be effortless. Now let's wrap it up with <laughs> your amazing canning and food storage. I know we touched on it a bit earlier.
1: I started getting promptings intuitively in like 2018 and 2019 And I didn't quite understand it. So I slowly started working on food storage. And then when COVID hit, like February, March of 2020, and I noticed how fragile our global ecosystem is, our infrastructure with shipping and the outsourcing of everything that we've done to save a dollar in save a dollar and destroy everything.
0: Destroy so much more.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, this makes sense now. I've been feeling like I need to get food storage. I need a can and all of that. So I taught myself how to can, and it came about because I still kind of feeling like we were on that doom timeline, which we're not not on that timeline anymore. But when I started feeling that, I looked at prepping groups and the best advice that they gave on those groups to figure out what you needed to focus on is turn your power off. And I didn't do this. So, but if you turned your power off for 24 hours, where's your weak point? Do you have water? Do you have shelf stable food? Do you have a way to prepare that food? And do you have the basic necessities? So if you were without your utilities Mm. and things that we've come to rely on, which are great, there's nothing wrong with that. But if those things went away, what things would you need? So that's Mm. why I looked at canning because in the region that I live in, we're right on the Arizona desert. It gets hot here during the Oh, we the need canning
0: here then I think. Yeah. I'm in the desert. Yeah.
1: So if my freezer went out, I would lose so much food at that time because I kept so much meat frozen. And I said, mm-hmm. how, how can I work around this? The answer was canning. Because when you pressure can meat and you do it properly, it's shelf stable.
0: Right. I'm so weird with meat like that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it made me a little nervous doing it, but because I let it sit and I kept Mm. it stored properly to Mm. test the seals to make sure that I did it right, it stayed perfectly canned and preserved for 18 months now. Wow. It's perfect. The things that did not stay sealed that had a risk of spoiling were actually my jams. My jams really didn't stay sealed that long. Yeah. Because it was a water bath canning. So I cycle through my water bath stuff frequently. Tell me me about the water bath. What is that? That is you use water bath canning for high acid foods like tomatoes, fruits, Um, Some fruits you do have to take measures for because they don't have enough acid, but those foods with the acid in it that helps preserve them. So it doesn't need as long of a cook time for preserving it with the, the canning process. So you don't have to get a pressure canner to do that with low acid foods where it creates this vacuum effect in the canner to seal and properly cook the foods inside so that it's shelf stable where if you do like a jam or you preserve like peaches on your own in water bath canning with the little bit of sugar that you put in and the amount of acid that's naturally in it, that Mm. helps keep it preserved where you just have to make sure that it's sealed with the rubber on the the mason jar that it's sealed to the jar and the acid and the stuff naturally in it will keep it preserved. Whereas pressure canning, you need more stuff to do it properly, but you can do water bath canning with a stock pot. You don't need to get a a canner. You just have to make sure that you have enough room with an inch of water above the jars at a rapid boil Mm -hmm. and follow the approved recipes that have been tested to make sure that you did it properly, but you have less chance of spoilage from you'll know if it's spoiled
0: though won't you
1: Mm -hmm, yeah because it'll smell weird the seal look weird popped off yeah yeah so it's Mm -hmm. easier to tell
0: and it's probably something you need to have a bit of practice with by the sounds of it
1: Mm -hmm, yeah the easiest way to get started is with water bath canning that's what I started with I started by canning some jam and then from that I was like this is so much easier than I thought it would be and I just started canning everything I can all kinds of things. <laughs> do you do that on Zoom? Mhm. Yeah. So I have a workshop for the basics of food storage and the basics of canning to teach mm-hmm. you all the things to get started. And I'm going to expand on that eventually and do more specified classes like pressure canning meat cuz that mm-hmm. can be really intimidating and Now that I know that all of my stuff stayed sealed, I'm going to start rotating through it because you do want to use it within like 18 months to two years, because then you start losing nutritional value. That's what the USDA recommends with canning. Mm -hmm. Um, Granted, some prepping groups will tell you that if you did it properly and it was stored properly, you can use it way past that. But the proper recommendation, (laughs) yeah, the proper recommendation to make sure that it still retains nutritional value is to use it within 18 months to two years. So I need to start using the stuff that I. canned now that I know that I did it right (laughs) over the last two years. But um, I guess it's good. It's good as backup food. It is. It is. And it makes meal prep really easy. If you don't have to defrost meat to use it and you've already canned the contents of a meal together, like Mm. pot pie, if you can the pot pie filling, you just have to throw it into a pie crust and bake it. It makes, it makes meal it prep easy. so much easier because everything has already been prepared. It's shelf stable. If you did it right, you have lower chances of getting sick from it than um, commercially canned food.
0: I remember, mm-hmm. I think my grandmother used to preserve peaches, and my mother used to make ginger beer at home.
1: Ooh.
0: Oh my goodness. (laughs) I miss that so much. It was, she had to feed the plant every day, which I don't even remember what she fed it. I think it was ginger, maybe feeding a plant ginger Mm -hmm. or something. Yeah. It's a ferment. Right. And then it would all be bottled and sometimes we'd be at home and all of a sudden we'd hear a loud explosion, which one of the (laughs) bottles would break. (laughs) It would be so scary, but it was always really exciting. I really miss that ginger beer. I hope you make a ginger beer one day.
1: Yeah, I haven't really gotten into fermenting yet. Yet, Mm. (laughs) I started doing like sourdough, and then I forgot to feed it, and I eventually killed it. (laughs) So I haven't used sourdough in a while. But fermenting is an amazing skill to have, and that's a Mm. great way to preserve some of your produce too, and make it easier to digest. Because mm. that's primarily how people preserved food for eons was fermentation, like lacto fermenting to preserve cauliflower or yes kimchi, kimchi, a big love one, or kimchi. sauerkraut. A mm. lot of cultures eat lacto fermented vegetables, and that's it's incredible. really good for your body, right? It's incredible for your gut microbiome, for Mm. your health. That impacts everything. When your gut microbiome is strong, you can absorb your nutrients better. Your skin is better. Your sleep is better. So really focusing on your gut health impacts everything else. And using fermentation, these natural ways of food preservation really impacts that.
0: Mm. Wow. We sure packed a lot of (laughs) <laughs> Information into this yeah. podcast. Ash. <laughs> Thank you so much for going through this and spending all the time. And where can people find you?
1: My website is goddesshomestead.com and I'm also on Instagram at goddesshomestead. You can find all the links on my website. Thank you
0: again <laughs> so much, and good luck with Thank everything. Thank you for having me.
1: Oh, I really it's been an absolute time pleasure and it's been an honor to be on your podcast
0: been so great i'll speak to you soon you've just finished listening to an episode of rare conversations if you enjoyed today's episode i'd love for you to leave a review and share it with a friend who you think would be interested in this topic and if you have a business question please send it in to us we may very well answer it in our next episode so be sure to tag me on social media at leone milano The show notes and other information can be found on our website at www.leonimilano.com. Thank you again for listening and we look forward to having you back with us again soon.